Last week, if you were here, I talked to you just briefly on the front end about how I'm such a needle wimp. I don't know if you remember remember this, where uh, I tried, went to the blood bank and tried to give blood, and I wasn't able to because my blood pressure came too low. That, that just means I fainted. Well, so what I did, I was so inspired by my last week, though, that I said, I'm going to try this again. And so Monday, I went back to the blood bank. I said, all right, man, I can do this. I just know I can do this. And I, I wanted to wear it for y'all this morning, but I left there with a little piece of cotton and a, a bandage across right around here. What do you think? When I fainted, I fell and my arm hit a tray thing. Actually, I really did give, give blood. Isn't, isn't this wild, though, when someone's bucket list includes the ability to give blood? Uh, this, was, this was mine, and it, and it worked last week. But anyway, that's, that's for free. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much, O oh Lord, for sharing way back amazing stories. You're teaching truths from heaven for us. Incredible. And thank you, Lord, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to make these alive in us. And so I would ask that this morning, the things of you that are spiritually discerned, Lord, would you give us that? Oh, Lord, would you deliver us even from our own mind and Fill us with the mind of Christ. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to be able to see and understand your will for us this, this morning. We pray that you would show us wonderful things from your word and that then you would give us the courage, the ability to know what to do with those. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to introduce you to four people this morning. These are real people. They were real in, in my life. I'm going to change the names up a little bit. First person's name is Ken. Now, Ken and I went to high school together. We really didn't run in the same circles. We had some classes together. But we did have some common friends. Several years after high school, one of our common friends was getting married up in, up in Detroit. We're in the Chicagoland area. And Ken and I are both standing up in the wedding. And so we were going to drive all the way from Chicago to Detroit together. Now, I knew this about Ken. Ken was a militant atheist type of person. He was a philosophy major at U of I. He was a thinker and a half sharp guy. He was very vocal with anti-everything that had anything to do with Christianity. Just very, very strong guy. So I knew we were going to be having some very fun conversation all the way to Detroit. And so I, I prepped for this. I mean, I, I read a lot and I studied and I prayed and I researched and I, I was ready for that trip. Matter of fact, when we got driving and the conversation started flowing like I knew it would, uh, I mean, I, I, was, I was ready. And I answered all of his questions and posed several to him that he was not able to answer. And I, I dealt with apologetics and science and, and history and... and I nailed it. I, I nailed it. Humbly, if I can say it. And, and I was sure that if, if, if Marx and Darwin and Carl Sagan were in my car, they would have repented in dust and ashes before we got to Kalamazoo. I just was there. And he was speechless most of the time. Um, however, when we got back, uh, Ken got out of the car. He was as much a militant atheist as he was when he got in. Uh, second person. This girl's name was, was uh, Janice. Now, Janice, I remember the night she came to know Christ. Lots of emotion. Lots of emotion. Just very, you're sure, my goodness, this is the real, real deal. And, and she 
thought it through and it was, she was sure she was going to give her life to Christ. She was moving forward with this no matter what it cost. But maybe she didn't understand the cost completely because in short order her friends decided that they didn't like a little bit of God was okay but this too much of God. No, I'm not interested in these lifestyle changes. And she found herself not just minus friends but with a whole new batch of enemies. And in a very short time Janice traded her new life back for her old life. Third person, this was Scott. Scott was a kid in the youth group, grew up in the church. Uh, Scott's dad was one of our elders. Scott was a very charismatic, cute kid, just a a leader, neat guy. And we were on a mission trip, Navajo uh, Indian Reservation, Arizona-Utah border. And we'd been busy all all week. But uh, that night, we just finished um, having a... Uh, meeting with their teenagers, some of the native teenagers on the reservation. And uh, it was about midnight, and Scott comes walking into my room, and he's crying. I said, well, what's wrong? He says, we need to go for a walk. So he and I are walking out uh, on this gravel road in the middle of the high desert, beautiful out, but, and he starts telling me, he said, you know what, I was able to lead one of the native teenagers to the Lord tonight, and there is nothing greater than that. And I know God is calling me, and that's what I'm going to do with my life, to be telling people this. What a great thing. Well, a few years later, the lure of riches, the lure of pleasure, and Scott pretty much abandoned all of his faith and lived in a different direction. Fourth person. Her name was Helen. I remember Helen started coming to our youth group. She was in junior high. She came to know Christ. And was kind of growing in junior high. He had high school and uh, lots of temptations with high school. And while her friends were experimenting, Helen, though, kept walking towards Christ. I mean, she was paying the price. She was a quiet girl, but she was strong in her faith. Hit college, more of the same. Her faith continued to grow. Grad school, more of the same. Today, this was like 30 years ago, today, pastor's wife, uh, godly family, neat girl, strong faith. What makes you ask, doesn't it? Why do some people, does it work, and other people, it doesn't work? Why, why does it take with some people, and some people, it doesn't take with them? Why, some people, does it, does it go right over their head? Uh, some people, they start off, but then they walk away, and others make it. Why? And we would, well, you know, there's lots of possible reasons for this. You know, maybe it was the, the guy who shared Christ with him in the first place. Might have said some wrong stuff, got it mixed up. Or maybe, you know, it's a personality issue, maybe. Or maybe it's a psychological thing. Or maybe the person just had such terrible things dealt to their life later on that they just walked away. I mean, who, who knows what they could have been? A lot of different things. And maybe, maybe a combination of them. And Jesus, in our text this morning, says, eh, without, without taking any of those off the table, says, there's something just a little bit bigger, though. And the answer is as close as the mirror. It is the condition of the person's heart, the, their ability to spiritually hear is what makes the difference. That's the parable that we're going to be talking about this morning. It's one of Jesus' first parables. It's probably his third most famous. You know, prodigal son, good Samaritan, those two are kind of vying for number one, right? This is, this is probably the third most famous Parable. This parable that we're looking at today is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is almost kind of a feat because Mark only has four parables in it. 
And so this is one that is in, in all three of the synoptic gospels. And in it, the reason why it's here is Jesus wants to tell you, wants to tell me what it, what it means for it to stick. How it can stick. How you can be a person where it, it, it makes it. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Luke. We're going to look at the Luke portion. Luke chapter 8. And if you don't have your Bible, it should be a Bible in the rack in front of you. I don't know the, the page number. You'd have to look at that table of contents, but that's what it's there for. Luke chapter 8. Verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. By the way, the reason why that portion is here, you look at that and you go, what does that really, that does not help me. Why is this even here? The reason why this is here is because Scripture's letting us know, Luke is letting us know, that Jesus is going to tell a once-upon-a-time story. But his telling the once-upon-a-time story is not a once-upon-a-time event. This was an actual historical event. There were real people who, who one time stood there and listening to Jesus when he told this originally. This was an actual historical event. And Jesus is telling them uh, and telling us this parable beginning in verse 4. He says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. And some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, when you first see this, this idea of a, of a sower going out to sow is kind of an alien thing for us. Now, it wasn't for these original folk. Both Matthew and, and Mark let us know that when Jesus told this parable, he was on the, the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the land around the Sea of Galilee, very fertile, uh, fields all around it. And you would plant mid, late fall to midwinter. And it's a good possibility that while Jesus is there telling this, that the sowers, farmers, are actually out sowing their field. They're, they're out there. So you can look at them. uses them kind of as an, as an object lesson. And this, is, this, this sowing thing, again, it's, it's alien to us. Even if you grew up on a farm, because you probably had your international harvester or John Deere planter cedar thing do the planting for you. But these guys, of course, they didn't have that. So what they did is they had a leather pouch slung over their shoulder, filled with seed. And their experience, as they went through their, their fields, taught them they knew how to scatter the seed appropriately. How to just spread it out. How to throw it out. Now, first place it fell, it says it fell on um, hard ground, and keeping in mind that there weren't a lot of extensive road systems at this point, and so if you wanted to get from point A to point B and there was no road that got you there, what did you do? Well, you just walked across the field. You know, remember when Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field of grain and they're eating the grain? Do you ever stop and think, that's awful rude? I mean, if somebody started wa just walking, if I got stopped my car and just started walking through some farmer's field today, that would be in trouble. But, but here, it was a common thing because there was no way. So you just walked. And 
what happened is right across people's fields, through lots of traffic, foot traffic, people would bring their animals, there would be a footpath. And all the, the years and all the traffic would, would, would pound this down and the sun beating on it, its stuff would become asphalt hard. And so as the farmer's out sowing his seed, there's probably a little footpath going through his field and some of the seed would probably fall on that. It says that, that uh, the next soil was, was rocky soil. It says here it fell on rocks, but Matthew and Mark let us know that it was rocky soil. Not soil with rocks in it. This is reflective of the geography of the, the area. There was limestone in different places that was just a few inches underneath the topsoil. So it would look like regular ground. It would look nice. And you'd plant the whatever. But as it started to grow up, it would, the roots could get down where they needed to. They couldn't get to the water. The water would all drain off. And these things would just wither and die. And he said that, that some of the soil came, uh, some of the seed fell on thorny or weedy ground or right into the weeds. And this is either the peripheral, as he's throwing, some of it's going off into the weeds. Or maybe there was some ground that he did, it was dug up. But the roots of the weeds previous had been killed. And so as this seed is planted, the roots, the weeds grow up and they, they choke out the plant. If your yard is anything like mine, the, the weeds are growing huge even though the, the grass is not. And in time, the weeds will take over all the nutrients, all the water, shade the right plants and, and kill them. And Jesus says, finally, some of the seed fell on good soil. And there came up a, yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now for the folk at this time, they'd be going, yeah, that's right. That's the way it works for me. That's what you work for you, Farmer John. Yeah, that's the way it works for me. That's just the way it does. That's, yeah, that's right. That's what, that's what happens. And then Jesus says this kind of cryptic phrase at the end of verse 8. When he, when he said this, he called out. That means he yelled, he screamed, he took up the volume a little bit. He's underlining this next line. He's going to emphasize this line. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This was not just like an amen or something that tacked on the end. This, is, this line, this is the only command in the whole parable. You want to obey this parable, then you better understand what this line means. Because this is, this is it. And this line helps you and I understand the purpose of this parable, why this parable is here, what Jesus is really trying to communicate. His disciples asked him what this parable uh, meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seen, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. And you look at that and you go, what? That, that doesn't mean that? What? That, is that is it, does it mean the way it sounds? What, what is that about? When Jesus taught back then, and I would say when Jesus teaches today, when Jesus' word goes forth, it always polarizes the, the crowd. The crowd doesn't realize that it's polarizing the crowd, but it does always. Verse 4, if you look at the text, it says, well, a large crowd was gathered around Jesus. And then in verse 9, it says, his disciples asked him what it meant. Last week, we said the word disciples in the Gospels can just mean anyone who's following Jesus, regardless of their spiritual interest or not. But when it says his disciples, you see, see the, the author here, Luke, is juxtaposing the great crowds and his disciples. Notice what his disciples do. The great crowds didn't do this. His disciples 
after his teaching, they pull him aside. They're wondering about it. They say, what, is, what does this mean to me? What am I supposed to do with this? How does this impact my life? Real important. Real, real, this is really, really important. This whole purpose of the parable. Crowds hear Jesus' message and they go, hmm, yeah, it was nice. It was good. Yeah, okay, it was good. But his disciples, people who are serious, people who are really his disciples, after the message, they, they ponder it. After the message, they say, how does this work in my life? What am I supposed to do with this? Jesus, he knows his time is limited. He's got to train up his real disciples. He's got to pour into God's word into them. He's got to make sure that they're stable and they're ready. Problem is, there's really no private places to go. He's out pu- Whenever he's public, the people start running to him. He's a very popular guy. And so wherever he goes, the crowds are all around him. And he doesn't want to necessarily say, get out of here. And if he did say that, they wouldn't do it anyhow. And so he's got to try to teach his disciples. And so what he does is he speaks in parables. So that his real disciples will say, what does this really mean for me? Meanwhile, the masses will go, eh, eh, well, well, what this means for us. Really, this is, if the Holy Spirit speaks, and this is why he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart through God's word, and you shut him down, ah, I don't have time. The next time, the Holy Spirit will speak just a little bit softer. And then if you shut him down, uh, let me think about it. The Holy Spirit next time will speak just a little bit softer yet. And if you shut him down again, then the following time, the Holy Spirit's going to whisper. And if you shut him down again, next time, there won't be a next time. He won't speak. This, this, this is Romans 1. You know, Romans 1, Paul says, Paul's talking, he says that God says about people who won't listen to him. He's tried to break through. He's tried to share. He sent prophets. He sent his word. He's tried to break through to them. And they keep shutting him down. Three times it says because they've shut him down, God gives them over to their will. Uh, C.S. Lewis says there's only two types of people in this world. There's people who say, God, your will be done. And there's people to whom God says, your will be done. And, and folk who are, won't hear him. I and mean, we, we think, I can keep, I still have a chance until I'm dead, right? But no. Sooner or later, God may shut the door and say, you know what? I've spoken to you. I've spoken to you. I've spoken, and you keep blowing me off. Okay, we're done. Options are done. You're, you're, you're all over. That's why Jesus says, if you can hear spiritually, then by golly, you better do something about it. Because there may not be a next time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what Jesus is, is, is getting at here. That's what he's, he's trying to say. So then he goes to the interpretation of the text, of the parable. They said, you want to you know what the meaning is? He says, okay. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. That means that the sowers are those who put out the word of God. Whether it's small group leaders or Sunday school teachers or you're just trying to share your faith with someone uh, at work or, or you're sharing your faith with your kids. It's, it, those, it, all Christians are sowers. Supposed to be, right? Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You ever try to share your faith 
I mean, if you're a true believer, you probably have somewhere along the line, and, and maybe it didn't go well for you. You think, and you try, and you pray, and you hope, and you prepare, and you work up the guts, and you finally go down that road, only to be rejected, and to be mocked, and have the other person walk away. And you go, I don't know how to do it any better. I'm sure I didn't do it right, but I don't know how to do it any better. And you ask yourself, why would somebody just shut it down? Why would somebody reject the message? Why would that happen? And we think, well, the, the issue must obviously be in the sower, right? You know, again, I did it wrong. I said it wrong. I forgot some verses. I missed a point. I didn't get it in right order. Somehow I got it confused. That's the issue. But did you notice this here? Same sower, same seed. But sometimes it catches, sometimes it, it, it doesn't. It's not an issue of, did you put out, uh, Louis Palau, I heard him one time speak. Louis Palau is like the Latin American Billy Graham. And he said that when he first became a Christian, he was so pumped about it, he shared with like 100 people. And every single one of them shut him down, said, nope, I'm not interested, forget it. So he got to that 101st person, he shared Christ and the gospel, and you want to accept the Christ? And the person said, yeah. And he says he was so caught off guard, he said, are you sure? Maybe, maybe you must have heard me wrong. Let me do this. Let me tell you again. And so he went over this again because he was just so used to rejection. This, was, this couldn't be possible to be true. Um, when I met with Ken that one time, I mean, finally, uh, in the hotel room in Detroit, just before we were leaving to come back, uh, we had another great discussion. He said, Harris, you want to know why I don't believe this? It's not because there aren't some answers. It's not because, you know, there, there, there are, maybe there's some possibilities to it. I don't believe this because I don't want to believe this. Because I like the way I'm living. I don't want anybody messing with it. Thank you very much. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not an issue of logic. It's not an issue of I don't have the right answers. It's not an issue of, of somehow I'm not prepared. It's an issue of the person's heart. And sometimes there's just our heart. I think our heart drives us more than we, we think. We like to think, no, it's blame it on uh, hypocrites in the church, blame it on um, they don't have enough right answers, they're all uh, you know, hyper right-wing fundy people and uh, it turns me off. But actually, it's, it's a heart issue. Proverbs 27 says, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Your heart kind of re- you reflect, your life reflects what's going on inside. Next. For out of the mouth, mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You want to control your tongue? There's some discipline we should exercise there. But the best way to do is start with what's going on in the heart. Next. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornication and theft and false witness and slanders. That stuff is not going to come out of somebody whose heart is going in, in the right direction. It's when our heart shifts. Next. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, Our heart, my heart, your heart, wants us to be judged by our motivation. Our our motivation is always right, and if it's not, it's just because we had a really bad day or something. But we're, we're really good people. Instead of really looking at what's going on in our heart, it's sick, it's broken, it's wicked. And the heart controls. And Jesus says sometimes there's a, a hard heart. He goes on, he says there's rocky soil as well. He says those uh, on, on the rock, or the rocky soil, are the ones who receive the word with joy. Now notice this is kind of, this is a real controversial text actually. Receive the word with joy and when they hear it, uh, but when they hear it, uh, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, 
They fall away. Now, you know, it's just, you see, they say, this person receives it with joy. Now, part of our deal is we equate joy with reality. We, we say all the time, when there's lots of exuberance and tears and all that stuff, we say, oh, God really showed up, man. Oh, yeah, it was the real deal. See, God is, is emotion, I guess. And so God really showed up because this was real. I could just tell this was a real thing. And sometimes, I mean, emotion's not bad, but emotion is not the New Testament distinguishing factor in true conversion. It's not, not the proving point. Uh, any more than, than a lack of emotion would prove that it didn't take. It wasn't a true thing. Th- that's not the New Testament uh, deal. And so you ask yourself, though, well, look at this person. Uh, can you believe? And for a little while? I mean, I, I thought eternal security and stuff. I thought, you know, no one shall pluck me out of my father's hand. I thought, I thought that he will never leave me or forsake me. I thought that uh, when I accept Christ, old things are passed away, new things are come. Do you mean the new things left now and old things come back? I mean, how does this, this work? It doesn't, how do you square this with the rest of, the, of, of Scripture? Matthew thirteen twenty. It says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and, once he re- and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We know that people accept Christ for different reasons. Maybe they accept Christ because they think, uh, no one loves me in this world. Finally, in the church, there's some people I think who will love me and take care of me. These are perfect people, and of course, they'll accept me completely the way I am, without even realizing that maybe they're broken too in some ways. We accept Christ, maybe some people do, because my life's a mess and I'm really struggling here. And I need God in it because maybe he'll make sense of it, make it work for me. Maybe I accept Christ because i got a do- bad doctor's prognosis thing. And I need to talk to the man upstairs who's going to fix my health. Because, boy, if he can't do it, nobody can do it. Maybe I got myself in some trouble and I just need God to get me out of the trouble. Lots of reasons why people come to know Christ. This person's got shallow faith, though. They believe for a short time. Jesus said it. Can you believe for a short time and not believe anymore? Yeah, yeah. This happened. John 6. What happened the day before is day before Jesus fed all these guys with just a few loaves of bread, a few fish, feeds them all. Okay. The next morning, they come back. They're looking for breakfast. Instead, Jesus gives them teaching. He's not going to work this major miracle, not going to do what they expect him to do, what they want him to do. He teaches them how he's the bread of life and how uh, what they need to do is, is eat his flesh. Of course, he's speaking metaphorically, but it's many of them walk away. It says that his disciples, many of his disciples, it's his big crowd, turned their back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let me ask you, the the, the 12, the true disciples there, do you think they might be confused? Yeah, it sounds like they probably are confused. Maybe as much as the guys in the big crowd. Did Did the 12 have some question marks about what Jesus just said? Did they have it all figured out? No, they didn't have it figured out. But did they walk away? No, they didn't walk away. 
They, they were part of the, they were thinking he was going to build this big thing and maybe take over Rome. And, and, and when Jesus says this stuff that just disseminates the whole crowd, he's got to be, they've got to be a little bit wondering what's going on here. But they stayed. The New Testament confirming sign of a true conversion, the distinguishing mark of a true conversion is staying power. It's endurance. That's so, so huge for us. Let's, next text. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to it, if you embrace it, if you trust it, then you're really my disciples. That's how you can tell someone is a really disciple. Uh, next text is Hebrews 3, but it's actually 3.14, not 3.4. So if you take a note, it's 3.14. This is a great text. Just look at this for a minute. We have come to share in Christ if... Indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now, now, just stare at that for a minute. This is not we're becoming to know Christ. We have come. It is a past event. There is a time in history somewhere past where you surrendered and you walked across the line and you are now born again. We, have, we know that that has happened to us if we hold firmly all the way to the end. If we endure it's saying the exact same thing Jesus is saying. If there's no endurance, that's no, not the case. Check this out. This is real clear. John's talking about these people that you and I know. They, they came to know Christ, and they were just pumped about it, and they were excited, and they were fan- But you know what? They lasted a while, and then they walked away. What's with that? What's with those guys? Are they believers? Are they not believers? John's addressing that. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. The distinguishing mark of a disciple, of a true disciple, is not joy. It's endurance. It's endurance. Staying to the end. That's why we've got to be careful because all of us have somebody in our family or some friend or somebody that had this big profession and big deal, but they walked away. And we want to say, well, they're still a believer. They're still, they're still a disciple, but they're not a disciple. Disciple means to follow. They're not following. We just got to be careful that we don't give false assurance. Jesus says, no, no, if I've really done the work in their heart, you know what? They're going to stay. There may be times they go, shh, goes up and down a little bit, but they're going to, they're going to be with me. They're going to stay. Uh, biblical picture on this. Judas Iscariot, Peter. Remember, remember this? Last night here, uh, both of these guys betray Jesus. Peter denies Jesus three times. I mean, there's, this is, I don't know if any of us really understand the power of what he's done here because he was invoking curses from the Old Testament. He was divorcing himself from Christ. He was divorcing himself from anything Christ represented with his cursing. Jesus saying, I don't, or cursing that, the fact that, that, that he knew Christ. He doesn't know. He's betraying, denying Jesus. Judas, of course, we know he denied Jesus. And the fact that he sold Jesus, really, for 30 pieces of silver. He helped the the Sanhedrin guys find Jesus, locate him, so that they could arrest him. Now, as soon as this is done, what happens to both of these guys? Well, Peter feels really bad. He goes off crying, right? Judas feels really bad. He goes back to the temple and he throws the silver down and says, I've betrayed innocent blood. They both feel really, really bad for what they've done. What happens next? Well, Peter repents, comes back to Jesus. What does Judas do? He takes his life. Feeling bad is not the same thing as repentance. Now, some of us here this morning, 
are walking around with a huge guilt deal. There's something we've done in the past, and we just feel really, really bad about it. We feel really, 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 really bad. You know what? What you've done, what I've done has been bad, but you know what? You don't have to carry that guilt. You don't have to pull a Judas. You, you don't have to take it to your grave. You can pull a Peter, and you come back to the Lord. He knows what you've done. He knows it very well, and surrender that to him. It is, you just Judas, if I'm not mistaken, according to the text, he worked miracles. I've never worked. He's worked miracles. He, he, he preached with great effect. But at the end, he, he, he walks away. And scripture makes it clear he's the son of perdition. He was never in. He was never, never there. Um, the text goes on. It says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures. And they do not mature. He says, there's that other thing. It sprouted. It started to grow, it seemed. But the, the, the soil was not uh, pure soil. Uh, the, 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 the pleasures of life, the worries of life. Now, we all have worries in life, right? We all, and there's, there's things that we're supposed to deal with. Please know Christianity is not an irresponsibility type of religion where we just say, ah, que sera, sera. You know what happens in life? It just happens. Oh, well. That's not what Scripture tells us to do. If you, if you neglect your family, you can't be an, an elder. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Uh, we need to be responsible people. We need to deal with insurance and the car and the yard and family members and health. And we, we, we have to deal with the stuff of life. We have to deal with that. But when the stuff of life takes over, and that's all we're living for, and that's our perspective is just things of this life and not the other life, that's where the weeds come in. Second weed he mentions is, is riches, right? First Timothy. You check out this. You know the cool thing? One of the cool things with Scripture, I just love this, is how consistent Scripture is. It's just so consistent. Paul's talking. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, check this out, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. You can't wander from the faith unless you're in it initially anyway, at least in an uh, external system. Riches. If, if the, the weed is, is there, the seed for the weed is there, then you know what? It's going to grow up too. Now, he's not saying that, that we won't have temptations. Uh, there will, will be. But when they come, we, we shut them down. We don't let them take over. Another weed that they mention here is uh, pleasure. Is it wrong to have a good cup of coffee? Is it wrong to enjoy the good new skis or the nice new bow or uh, your vacation? No, no. As long as we enjoy them with gratefulness. We enjoy them with an eye on our creator who gave them to us. Scripture says that all over the place. But when we kill off the gratefulness part, we're, we're not focusing on the giver anymore. We're focusing on the gift that's when the, the, comes the weed, takes over. Now you, you see that you got the hard heart, okay? No, no, no room at all. You got the shallow heart. They're expecting him to do something else as well. They're, they're kind of bought this thing to get something else out of it. The weedy heart, mm, they're going to share. God can be a part, but I'm going to share with other things that have to be part of it as well. Jesus says that's not going to work. And then there's the good soil. But the seed that fell... Uh, on good soil stands for those with a noble and good 
heart. Who hear, look at this, who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance, that's the endurance, produce a crop. John 15, 5 and 6, this is what Jesus says. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. You don't have to try, it's just going to happen, it will be there. Problem is, sometimes we define fruit different than the way Jesus does. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. So what, he, what he's what he's mentioning? Distinguishing signs, endurance that will produce fruit as well. Now, let me ask you. A big portion with this whole parable is about how is your hearing this morning? When you evaluate your own heart, let's ask ourselves some questions. Hard heart, I really don't care. I don't give a rip. Uh, is it uh, shallow? You expect them to do something else. Maybe you're here and you you did accept it with joy at one point, but you've walked since then. Yeah, you're here physically, but internally you're, you're, not, you're not here. Maybe it's the weedy soil. The temptations, the other stuff, it's just too great for me. I have to grab onto it somehow. Uh, the good soil. Good soil is not perfect soil. It just embraces his word. Isn't what he said? If it's perfect, no, it, it's, it embraces his word. It retains it. It perseveres with it. Let me throw this out too. If you uh, sow the seed, you try to share your faith and stuff, which we're all supposed to be doing, and it's just not working for you. And you're getting disappointed, and you're getting discouraged, and you just, you've tried and nothing happens. Please, please, please go back to this parable and know that the same seed that didn't take any root here, the exact same seed took root over here. Same sower, didn't change sowers, the same, didn't change methodologies. He didn't say, I'll throw it one way over here, and I'm going to throw it a different way over here. Same methodologies. We want to find the methodology that's going to work for evangelism. And there's probably some truth in that. But Jesus would say, ah, not primarily. It's a heart issue. Your responsibility, mine, is to sow. Also, let me mention this. We cannot become uh, heart uh, evaluators. We can't say, this person's heart is hard. I can just tell. This person's heart is, is, is this guy's got a weedy heart. I can just tell. Uh, when we sow our seed, don't shut down someone because you think their heart is hard. Maybe you really are planting, and it's just going to come up years down the road. I think the fruit will be seen in, in heaven with that. So the question is the parable. How's your hearing? How's your, your hearing? Maybe you'd say, you know what? I probably hear God's word more like the big crowd. I really don't even think about it when it's all said and done. We'll just, just change gears. Maybe that's your takeaway from this morning, from this point on. Every time I'm going to hear God's word, whatever avenue it will be, I'm going to pray just before I do, God, would you show me? And when it's done, I'm going to spend just a few moments saying, what am I supposed to do with this? Maybe that's your your takeaway this morning. But his disciples, Jesus would say here, as distinguished from the crowds, are those who endure, who accept his word, and persevere. Would you pray with me?